Welcome to the Books and Bites podcast. Each month, we bring you book recommendations and discuss the bites and beverages to pair with them. I'm Carrie Green, and I'm here with my co-host, Michael Cunningham, and our new co-host, Adam Wheeler. Hello. Hello. So if you missed the last episode, then you may not know that Melissa Colston has taken a job with the Kentucky Department of Libraries and Archives, and Adam, our teen outreach librarian, has kindly agreed to step in. And we're very excited about that. Yeah, glad to be here. Sorry, I keep making like uh, emotions with my hands and waving and stuff. I I forget (laughs) that we're not actually, we're not doing video for this. (laughs) Yeah, so um, that's maybe a good segue into into the strangeness that is going on right now. We are um, coming to you remotely, um, so we're recording this podcast a little bit later than normal. Um, as you may know, the library is closed right now due to the coronavirus, um, and it took us a little while to figure out how to get things set up to podcast remotely but so we're using this software that allows us to see each other while we're recording um, and record all of us from the comfort of our own homes and you may hear a little baby noise in the background from michael's home right michael yes yes she's a she's awake right now and she's hungry so uh, (laughs) so that's why i was gone in february from the no, the March podcast. Sorry. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, congratulations. <laughs> well, yeah. well, thank <laughs> you. Good reason to thank be you. to be Absolutely. out for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so life is pretty different from the last time we recorded, in more ways than one. Um, how are you guys holding up during the quarantine? Go ahead. Yeah, I'm doing. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, good. Um, you know, just trying to stay sane and, you know, um, keep busy. Absolutely. Yeah. Adam. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've been doing all right. Um, the very first week or two, I did a lot of home cooking and gardening. And in this last week I have devolved into a lot of DoorDash, uh, and not going outside. So I'm doing great. (laughs) Really great. (laughs) Yeah, I um I had big plans at the start of this too, like all that I was gonna read and <laughs> <laughs> all the projects I was gonna do, and somehow that has uh, gotten smaller and smaller. <laughs> Are you all? Um, has your reading changed since being under quarantine? Mm, not particularly, no. Just. Well, I've I've been reading a lot of uh, poetry and novels and verse this month because doing book talks on Instagram and then getting ready for this and April's National Poetry Month, so that's Yay. that's what I've been focusing on and a lot of video game reading also. <laughs> video game reading? Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> video games they have a lot of text in them. I'm playing oh. and I'm reading as I'm going. So. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right, that counts. Um, how about you, Michael? I've been curious if you're like leaning into the horror suspense or if you've shifted away from that. No, I have really <laughs> leaned into that quite a bit. Uh, <laughs> I have been doing a lot more e- e-book reading than I typically mm-hmm. do. There's been a lot of authors that have been doing a lot of like uh, 
giving away a lot of free books on Amazon, eBooks, or uh, reducing them to like 99 cents. So I've been snatching those up. So I've mm -hmm. I got quite a collection right now. I've been going through those. Yeah. But yeah, still a lot of the dark stuff. <laughs> dark and scary stuff. Yeah, I'm definitely, I'm definitely leading towards more comfort reads right now. Um, nothing apocalyptic. <laughs> um, nothing, nothing with an epidemic for sure. <laughs> so even though we are closed, everyone at JCPL is working hard to bring you um, programs just in a different format um, online. And our in-person Books and Bites meeting is now meeting online through Zoom. And um, you are all welcome to join us remotely, whether you live in Jessamine County or elsewhere. Um, and the next meeting is April 22nd at 2.30 p.m. And you can register by visiting the events calendar on our website, which you'll find on justpublib.org. And if you've been following along with the Books and Bites Challenge, then you'll know that number four is a book recommended by a librarian or on the Books and Bites podcast. So for this month, our theme is a little looser than normal. As Books and Bites hosts, we do a lot of reading. So when we were designing this, we just thought we deserved a little freebie. Um, <laughs> so uh, to, do, to do whatever we want, um, but rest assured that you can use any of the books we recommend on the Books and Bites Challenge. And I know we've all tried to pick books that are available um, as downloadable books from the library. So even though you can't physically get there, um, you should still be able to read or listen to these. Uh, well, I don't know if I really need to repeat it again or not, but I might as well. Uh, since April is National Poetry Month, both of my choices are novels in verse. Uh, so this means that they read like free verse poetry, which doesn't necessarily follow the conventions of what we define as poetry, you know, when we think about it. Um, doesn't have to rhyme, and it usually doesn't utilize meter which, without getting into too much detail, is just kind of a writing structure that establishes rhythm while you're reading it. And as as a poet, I just have to say that was a very good explanation. Of, <laughs> <laughs> although um, I would I would say that most contemporary poetry is written in free verse now, even if it's not you know a free verse novel. That's good to know. I'm glad that that was a mostly accurate description as someone who is not a poet. I was a little nervous about that. <laughs> so the first title I'm talking about is The Wild Book by Margarita Engel, who is the Young People's Poet Laureate at the Poetry Foundation. They change them out every once in a while. So she's the previous one. They got a new one now. Um, but she was. This is a biographical fiction centered on the author's grandmother, apologies if I pronounce this wrong, Faifa, who struggles with her reading and writing. Events take place on a family farm in Cuba during the period following a series of Cuban wars for independence from Spain, uh, spanning from around 1868 to 1898. 
that included a U.S. occupation and, eventually, Cuban liberation from Spain. Loss of infrastructure from the wars led to chaos, which left an opening for bandits who began holding preemptive ransoms for families. If the sums weren't paid, then the bandits would kidnap their children. While this is integral to the story's plot, the story's focus is really on Fafa's literacy development. A doctor has diagnosed Fafa with what was called at the time word blindness, a highly inaccurate description for what we now call dyslexia. Fafa struggles heavily with reading and writing, and the doctor's diagnosis leads her to believe she'll never be literate. However, her mother's encouragement and a gifted journal, Fafa's wild book, help her persevere to become a skilled reader and a gifted writer. I don't want to give away too much, but Faith's patient work towards literacy is the key to her family's safety later in the story. Struggling readers may relate to the story and find inspiration in Faith's determination and honest road to literacy. There's no magic aha moment where her reading and writing skills suddenly click. Rather, we embark on a long commitment involving multiple supportive family members, wherein Faith's practice with words is likened to tending a garden. While my description here may sound bleak a bit, uh, the book's tone is hopeful, and the story is peppered with glimpses into Cuban culture and colorful pops of flowers, tropical birds, and foods. And that, that actually reminds me of a little bit of a mischievous, funny part of the story. Uh, so there is a section where Faith's brothers tease her and call her ugly, you know, like how brothers do. Um Mm-hmm. She's noticed a parrot has started roosting on their house. So she gets the wise idea of, I'm going to teach this bird how to say ugly. And <laughs> it's going to scream that at my brothers. And hopefully they'll know that it's talking about them. Uh, the unintended consequence, though, is that bird decided to stick around for a long time. Uh, and it called anyone who visited the house uh, while they were coming and going. It just called them ugly. Repeatedly. <laughs> um so that's it's fun it's got its fun parts too yeah <laughs> the wild book by margarita engel is available through hoopla digital this may also be an opportune time to mention that some of our digital resources uh kentucky libraries unbound or the app libby for example uh, allow users to adjust text in ebooks to meet their preferences um kentucky libraries unbound or the companion app Libby, uh, provides an option for a dyslexic-friendly font. I haven't had the opportunity to personally test its effectiveness, but it may make reading a bit easier for anyone with dyslexia who would like to try it. For this bubbly, colorful story, I recommend Fizz and Fruit Popsicles from Raquel Rabad Rock's The Cuban Kitchen, available on Kentucky Libraries Unbound, or Libby. Again, <laughs> you'll need popsicle molds or ice cube trays, one 12 ounce can of peach or other fruit nectar, chilled, one 12 ounce can of Sprite, also chilled, and one cup of crushed ice. This makes six servings. Um, so you'll start by mixing the fruit nectar, Sprite, and ice, just in a big bowl. Chill it for 10 minutes, and then pour that all into popsicle molds or ice cube trays. Freeze until it's solid. Might take about two hours. That sounds great. Yeah. I don't know how fizzy it actually is once it's frozen, but I figure it should be fun. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, hopefully it will get warm again soon and it'll be popsicle weather. Yeah, it'd be great for, for summer. My first recommendation this month is Fantastic Land by Mike Bockoven. Imagine if The Lord of the Flies and Mad Max took place at Six Flags. That's pretty much what you get here. Fantastic Land is a theme park built in Central Florida during the 70s near Daytona Beach that rivals Disney World and Universal Studios. It's divided up into six different areas. Fairy Prairie, Fantastic Future World, World Circus, Hero Haven, Pirate's Cove, and the Golden Road. In the middle of the season, the largest recorded hurricane in history strikes, catching everyone completely off guard and strains over 300 employees, mostly teens and college kids, in the park for over a month. Things quickly devolve into spectacular fashion as employees form tribes, which are the mole men, deadpools, robots, shop girls, freaks, and pirates, and start murdering each other. This book is pretty brutal and gruesome at times. It's also a really good representation of the found footage subgenre of horror, which is a work that is usually formatted as transcripts, diary entries, journals, or interviews. So if you read books like World War Z or House of Leaves, those are um, good examples of that subgenre. Uh, the book is presented as a series of interviews conducted by a reporter, Adam Jakes, who is trying to piece together the facts and understand exactly what happened and why it happened the way it did in the Fantastic Land Park. I really like how Bakoven gave each one of the 20 plus characters a distinctive voice, not making it seem like you're reading the same character over and over again. It doesn't seem like it would be an easy thing to do creating 20 something different voices. Uh, the villain, Brock Hockney, the leader of the pirates was a compelling character. His interviews are particularly terrifying and scary as he explains his motivations and uh, justify his behavior. Then there's these two violent characters people keep mentioning in their interviews that dress up in black clothing and wear warthog masks. No one seems to know who they are or where they came from, giving the story some additional eeriness. Uh, it's real easy to read this book as an indictment of Gen Z, but I really think the story is a little more nuanced and com complex than that. You can look at the news today and see how difficult it is to make sense of violent and tragic situations, especially when you add in a horrific breakdown in leadership, like in this book, and try to explain the hows and whys of such events. Uh, this is currently available on Hoopla Digital, so you can read it anytime and it's always available. So with hot dogs being an amusement park food staple, I paired this book with a recipe for grilled cheese dogs I found on delish.com. It's a really simple recipe. It calls for hot dogs, buns, green onion, shredded cheese, butter, garlic, and onion powder. That's it. I did substitute yellow onion for the green onion and added hot dog sauce to it. I really liked it. It was a nice change up from the traditional hot dog in the bun. I'll definitely be making it again soon. had initially planned um, to recommend a book of poetry in honor of National Poetry Month. Um, but the one that I wanted to talk about was far from uplifting. <laughs> and um, I just, it just wasn't, I've read it before. Um, 
And it just wasn't something that I wanted to revisit right now. Um, I think it's a great book. Um, but it's probably not something that you would want to read right now either. So I decided to go with a novel about a poet instead. From the start of Nile Williams's History of the Rain, I found narrator Ruth Swain to be insistent, charming, and funny. She also had the potential, I worried, to be a little annoying. Near the beginning of the book, Ruth describes her teacher's thoughts on her writing style. Quote, I write like a man and I'm a bit extreme, Mrs. Quinty has told me previously. I am that anachronism, a book reader, and from this my writing has developed eccentric superabundance of style, alarming borrowings, erratic fluctuations, and I must, must lose my tendency to capitalization, unquote. That sentence is representative of the book's old-fashioned feel. At times, I felt I was reading a book narrated by a 19th century Irish invalid rather than a girl writing around the time of the 2008 economic downturn. Partly it's because Ruth is ill with an unnamed disease, and partly it's because she quotes so liberally from classic literature. Dickens is a favorite, as is Yeats. But mostly it's because, in search of her poet father, Ruth tells stories of him, her grandfather, and her great-grandfather, moving back and forth through time and trying to uncover the source of the Swain family's impossible standard, the feeling that nothing they do can ever be good enough. Ruth's erratic fluctuations and tendency to capitalization grew on me, in part because the sentences in this book are so good engaging, clever, lyrical, surprising, that I had a million little slips of paper marking passages in the copy I checked out from the library. Her way of dealing with grief, quote, to keep hoping and to keep telling stories, unquote, is the kind of message I need to hear repeated from time to time, but especially now. I could have underlined the entire last nearly page-length sentence of this book. In fact, I loved this book so much that I bought Williams's newest book, This is Happiness, to read during quarantine. Though I haven't finished it yet, I can report that the sentences are just as delightful and perhaps even funnier than in History of the Rain. And I am underlining to my heart's content. As the title suggests, the overall tone is lighter, so you may find it a more appealing read right now than History of the Rain. Both books are narrated by Irish actors and are available as downloadable audiobooks. Pair History of the Rain with The Good Shepherd's Pie, a vegan update of the classic Irish shepherd's pie that you can find in Jay Steele's cookbook, Get It Ripe a fresh take on vegan cooking and living. This version substitutes a lentil and vegetable filling for the lamb. Since most of the ingredients are pantry staples, it's the perfect comforting dish to make when you can't get to the grocery store. If you'd like to try the recipe, you can find Get It Ripe as an ebook on Hoopla. That sounds nice. <laughs> Good hopeful book. Yeah, I mean, it did have some sadness, but kind of like, I guess, the first book you were talking about, Adam, the overall tone was sort of hopeful. 
So my second book is Long Way Down by Jason Reynolds. Um, Long Way Down has been a hit with high school students, uh, its intended audience, and it has a long list of honors, including being a Newbery Honor Book, a Coretta Scott King Honor Book, a Prince Honor Book, and winner of the Walter Dean Myers Award. Fair warning that this is a young adult book, and it does involve a small amount of strong language and somewhat descriptive scenes of violence. So if this isn't for you, I'll understand if you want to skip to the next book in our talk. Story told in free verse follows Will in the time following his brother Sean's murder. Most of the events, aside from the shooting outside, take place over a 62nd elevator ride in a seven-floor building. We spend this agonizing, time-compressed minute with Will as he considers what to do after his brother was shot. The rules of his neighborhood determine there's only one thing he can do. Kill the person who shot his brother. However, if Will kills that person, then the rules of his neighborhood could lead someone else to come after Will. Or he could hurt the wrong person, and then a lot of people would definitely be coming for Will. Uh, so he's really got two choices. He can risk defying the neighborhood rules or continue a cycle of violence. Now, these rules have been in place in one form or another for a while, so other people have been affected by them. Uh, and we'll come in contact with some of them. Uh, we have supernatural elements wherein ghosts visit Will during his elevator ride to give him advice or warnings. It might feel a little similar to Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol in that aspect. The first several entries all deal with the immediate loss of his brother, including Will's own onset of grief and observations of the neighborhood's in-time response to the shooting such as people hitting the pavement for safety, his mother recognizing it was actually her son that was shot, Sean's girlfriend screaming. Um, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> uh, eventually, the book begins exploring motivations and previous events that could have led to his brother's murder, including the possibility that Sean could have shot someone else. The Long Way Down is an emotionally intense read that is heightened by the stream of consciousness type of reading given through free verse. It's compelling enough to be read in one sitting, but entries are short, which allows for readers to easily read a bit and set the book down for later. I'd recommend this for most anyone who enjoys young adult fiction. Jason Reynolds is a wonderful author who's written both comics and a novelization for Miles Morales' Spider-Man, uh, a number of other YA novels, and the Ghost series a middle grade series that follows the personal development of a school track team's newest members, each member with their own book. For this book full of psychological turmoil, I recommend Stanley Tucci's recipe for eggs in purgatory found in quest loves mixtape potluck cookbook available through hoopla. You'll need a third cup extra virgin olive oil plus more to finish one large yellow onion chopped, two cloves garlic thinly sliced, three pepperoncinis chopped, and the pepperoncinis are optional, uh, one 28-ounce can of whole-peeled San Marzano tomatoes, two teaspoons of salt and more to taste, leaves from one small bunch of basil, 
freshly ground black pepper, eight eggs, and warmed fresh Italian bread for serving. So you start by heating the oil in an extra large saute pan or a cast iron skillet over medium heat until shimmering. Add the onion and garlic and cook until softened or about eight minutes. If you're using the pepperoncinis, go ahead and toss them in now. Uh, empty the can of tomatoes into a medium bowl and crush well using your hands after you have washed them for the, what was it, the allotted 20 seconds. Add the tomatoes to the pan, then add one teaspoon of the salt and half of the basil leaves. Bring to a boil and stir well, then decrease the heat to low, cover, and simmer for 30 minutes. Uh, uncover and make eight divots as evenly apart as possible with a bit of space in between and place your eggs in the divots. Cover and cook just until the whites are set and the yolks are still runny, seven to ten minutes. Then you can sprinkle it with salt and pepper, drizzle on some oil and basil, and serve it with hot Italian bread. Be tasty. That sounds really good. Yeah. Um, like Stanley Tucci, the actor? Yeah, Stanley Tucci, the actor. This cool. is a really fun cookbook uh, by Questlove, who's a musician, where he mm-hmm. has all kinds of celebrities contributing their own recipes to the book. That's really cool. Awesome. Yeah. My second recommendation is Slash by Hunter Shea. It reads like a love letter to the slasher genre, a subgenre of horror that you might be familiar with if you've ever seen the films Halloween, Friday the 13th, or Nightmare on Elm Street. Pretty much any film where young people are being chased around and murdered by a crazed maniac. (laughs) Hunter Shea is able to take the worn out and threadbare slasher story and familiar tropes that you've seen in the movies time and time again, make something brand new and fresh. So five years ago, Ashley King was a lone survivor of the infamous resort massacre. Her and her urban explorer friends decided to explore the ruins of the Hayden Resort located in New York Catskills. Unknown to them, the Wraith was waiting and slaughtered her friends. She now lives with her fiancé, Todd, still trying to recover from those events, suffering from severe PTSD and survivor's guilt, unable to recall anything that happened that night, wondering if the Wraith is going to come for her after eluding capture for so many years. One day, she reads an article that the resort is about to be torn down, which brings back a flood of memories from that awful night. And also the memory that she recorded herself and left it there as evidence, thinking she wasn't going to make it out alive. Ashley just can't handle it anymore and decides it's time to check out. Todd finds her note and decides he has to at least try to find out what really happened up there before it's torn down for good. He and his friends drive up there one cold night and find out the Wraith not only survived, but never left, and is not at all what they thought he was. This novel was taught with suspense, never letting up. It was well-paced, and the atmosphere was on point, letting you feel the bitter cold and darkness of the ruined Hayden Resort. What I thought that really set it apart from other slasher fiction was that it showed you what the aftermath of a massacre is like for the survivors, and how the horror for them doesn't ever really stop for them. That side of the story is typically left out. The character development was really great, especially for Todd. You can really feel his pain and grief and understand why he made the decisions that he made and the wraith. I loved what Hunter Shea did with him. And I won't spoil anything, but I did I did not see the ending coming. Never expected it. If you're a fan of slasher flicks like Friday the 13th and Halloween, you really need to read this novel. 
Um, it's also uh, available on Hoopla right now. Uh, the Hayden Resort is located in the Borscht Belt, which is a series of resorts in the Catskills that are popular vacation spots for Jewish families from New York. So for my pairing, I chose a traditional Jewish dish called Cholin. It's a slow cooker dish that calls for potatoes, short ribs, onions, beans, barley, beef broth, molasses, and smoked paprika. Typically, it started on a Friday afternoon and eaten midday on the Sabbath. I found this recipe online on the New York Times website. It sounds really good. I haven't been able to track down any short ribs yet, so I'm still waiting to make this recipe. That sounds good. Sounds like a good one to um, put on while you're staying at home. I know. Yeah, that's exactly. I was like, man, I can make this. <laughs> Throw it on one morning and have it. You could have have a few days worth of it. So my last book is The Hearts of Horses by Molly Gloss. The Hearts of Horses opens in 1917 when all the young hired men in Eastern Oregon are off at war. That leaves ranchers, including George Bliss, more willing to hire 19-year-old Martha Lesson to break their horses. Martha bunks with George and Louise Bliss and rides a circuit among the neighboring ranches, breaking horses along the way. A big part of the appeal of this novel is its main character. Martha is as shy as the horses she trains and is trying, in her own way, to escape a difficult childhood. She is gentle with the horses, breaking them in without whipping them or using other harsh methods of the time. But I also love that this novel doesn't just tell Martha's story. It also tells the story of the other neighbors, including a family she helps when their wagon slides into a ravine, a family whose patriarch is dying of cancer, two sisters running a ranch on their own, and others. And it shows how, in times of great hardship, in this case, amid the sacrifices of war and the challenges of frontier life, a community can not only come together, they can also transform one another for the better. And that's certainly a message I could use more of right now. This character-driven, leisurely-paced book has a strong sense of place and may also appeal to fans of Kent Hariff and Paulette Giles. Although the overall tone is heartwarming and gentle, be warned that there are some descriptions of illness and animal abuse that I found upsetting. And that is not abuse by Martha, but abuse that she's seen from other people. I listened to the audio version and really enjoyed Renee Rodman's performance. Wartime innovation and sacrifice is reflected in the meals the characters eat, whether in a treat of Christmas eggnog sweetened with beet sugar or the first utilitarian bowl of soup Martha eats at the Bliss Ranch. Quote, there was turnip and carrot in the soup, and a chicken may have run through the pot on its way to somewhere else, or more likely, this was one of the meatless days that had become patriotic in the last few months. Unquote. Enjoy the hearts of horses with a meatless or nearly meatless soup made with whatever ingredients you have on hand. Tamar Adler's minestrone recipe offers lots of suggestions for seasonal substitutions. 
You can find it in her book, An Everlasting Meal, or at the link on our blog. And I did I actually made this last night and it was really good. And I think it's um, it made this huge pot. So we're going to be eating on it for a few days. <laughs> this is a great time for soup. I just made yeah. a big pot of chili yesterday. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's one, ni- one nice thing about it getting cool again. You kind of want those foods again. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening to the Books and Bites podcast. For more information on Books and Bites, visit our website at justpublib.org forward slash books hyphen bites. Our theme song is The Breakers by Scott Whidden from his album In Close Quarters with the Enemy. You can find out more about Scott and his music on his website, adoreforadesk.com.